In 1949, the devil came to St. Louis, or at least some version of him did, according to stories, newspaper accounts, eyewitness testimonies, and a terrifying mishmash of legends that have been told and retold over the last 70 years. The events of the St. Louis exorcism have inspired books, documentaries, and even one very famous horror film, and while it is, without a doubt, the greatest unsolved mystery in the city's history, it's also become such a strange mixture of fiction and fact that it's hard to know where the truth ends and fantasy begins. With this series within a series of the podcast, we're hoping to fix that. This is part three of our look into the St. Louis exorcism story. So if you're joining us for the first time, we suggest you go back to episode 29, where the story begins. Everything about this story is confusing enough, and we don't want to make it worse by having you start in the middle. In our last episode, we left things after Father Bowdern and Father Bishop had made multiple visits to the home of Robbie's relatives in Belnor and became convinced that he was truly possessed. They sought out and received permission to conduct an exorcism. But was Robbie really possessed? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? In this series within a series, we've gathered the evidence and we're going to present it so that you can decide for yourself if you want to believe the story of the St. Louis exorcism or not. All that we ask is that you keep an open mind and then decide what you think happened in 1949 after you've heard all the evidence. It's a strange story. It's a confusing one. And as I've said before, it's pretty damn scary. These are episodes of the podcast that will have you listening with the lights on. Supernatural or not, something happened to that young boy and his family in 1949. As our story continues, we'll try and figure out just what that something was. Just be ready because things are going to get even stranger in the episodes ahead. You're going to be disturbed by what you hear and perhaps even frightened. You can tell yourself, this is only a podcast. But remember, this story is true. And it happened right here in St. Louis. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our second season explores the history, mystery, and hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri, the most haunted city along the Mississippi River. In mid-March 1949, Father Bowdern and Father Bishop received permission from St. Louis Archbishop Joseph Ritter to conduct an exorcism on the boy known as Robbie Doe. 
but they had no idea what to do with that permission. Despite the compassion they felt for the boy and his family, neither of them wanted to be Robbie's exorcist. Their research into this fairly rare ritual, at least in 1949, convinced them they were not qualified for the job. An exorcist was required to be a holy man, free from sin and temptation, and trained for the job. They attempted to recruit two other Jesuits, but both men politely declined. It was not because they were skeptical about the situation, they just didn't feel they had the strength for it. In the end, Bowdern and Bishop got the job. They had brought the case to the Archbishop and he ordered them to follow through on it. As mentioned in a previous episode, Ritter had found himself in a sticky situation with his attempts to desegregate the church and schools of St. Louis, even going as far as stating that he would excommunicate anyone who stood in the way of his plans. The last thing he needed was more controversy and to get other people involved in the Robbie Doe mess. He could have chosen any priest to perform the exorcism, but he chose Father Bowder. Father Bishop would continue to assist him. Ritter's only order to Father Bowder was that he never discuss the exorcism with anyone, an order that the priest followed to his grave. Bowder did, however, ask Father Bishop to continue his account of the case. His reasoning that was that since there was so little authentic literature available on cases of possession, the exorcist diary would be helpful to anyone who was facing the same situation in the future. The exorcism of Robbie Doe officially began in the afternoon of Wednesday, March 16th, but the chronology of the case is extremely confusing. It's not always clear how long Robbie stayed at the house on Roanoke Drive, but it is known that he was taken to the Alexian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis. He was in Maryland. He was at the hospital for as long as a month and came and went and portions of the exorcism were also carried out in the rectory at the St. Francis Xavier Church. The rectory has since been demolished and replaced. Stories have circulated from students who once attended St. Louis University that strange sounds were often heard coming from the rectory during the period when Robbie was there, and noxious odors were experienced wafting from the windows. The attention this brought to the rectory may have been part of the decision to move Robbie to the Alexian Brothers Hospital for the second time, but this may be simply part of the folklore that surrounds the case, but no one at this point can say for sure. It also isn't certain how many people were actually involved in the exorcism. The names of the exorcists given out in St. Louis were Father Bowdern, Father Bishop, and Father Lawrence Kenny. But Father Charles O'Hara of Marquette University in Milwaukee was also present as a witness, as was Father William Van Roo. And there were undoubtedly several hospital staff members, Alexian monks, and seminary students who were also in attendance during various parts of the exorcism, which went on for weeks. Now, one of these students was Walter Halloran. In 1949, he was a strapping young former football player who had been asked to help with the exorcism by holding Robbie down. Exorcisms were known for being often violent rituals, and the Jesuits must have felt that the young man would prove to be very useful. For some reason, though, Halloran was removed from the exorcism about one week before it came to an end, leaving his accounts of it rather incomplete. In spite of this, he became an essential source of information about the case. I spoke with Father Halloran a couple of months before his death, and he provided me with much of the information about the exorcism as it appears in this podcast and in my book about the case. His recollection of events was often uncertain and, as we'll later see, often conflicting. But on the afternoon of March 16th, Father Bowdern sent a message to Walter Halloran. He was 26 years old at the time and was studying at St. Louis University. He had been a Jesuit for eight years and had known Father Bowdern since attending Campion Jesuit High when Bowden had been the rector. 
Bowdner had been Halloran's inspiration for becoming a Jesuit. He had deep respect for him, and the two men were close friends. The message that Halloran received asked him to drive Father Bowdern on an errand that evening, nothing else. Well, he readily agreed. And when he arrived at the rectory that night at 9 p.m., he found both Bowdern and Bishop waiting for him. When they arrived at the house in Belnor, Bowdern surprised Halloran with an invitation to come inside with them. He was even more surprised by what Bowdern said next. I'll be doing an exorcism. I want you to hold the boy down in case it's needed. Well, there was no time to ask questions. Halloran followed the two men inside and was introduced to Robbie and his family. Father Bowdern sat down with them and explained that he was going to offer them a new kind of help. They were what he called special prayers for a situation like this, which he wanted to start right away. Well, after Robbie went to bed that night, Father Bowdern went upstairs alone and spoke to him for a few minutes. It was assumed later that he asked Robbie to examine his conscience before they began. In other words, if this was a hoax, it was time to fess up. Robbie didn't. If Father Bowdern had doubted the authenticity of what was going on, this was his last chance to call it off, but he didn't. Instead, he came downstairs and asked Father Bishop and Walter Halloran to come upstairs with him. The two priests prepared themselves by unrolling the purple stoles that had been in their pockets, kissed them, and placed them around their necks. Each man carried a copy of the Ritual Romanum, and Father Bowdern also carried a bottle of holy water. And then the exorcism ritual began. Each man knew an exorcism was a serious spiritual and physical struggle with a demon who was trying to break the faith and physical wellness of the exorcist. Prior to coming to the house on Roanoke Drive, Father Bowdern had made confession to Father Kenny and had spent much of the day in prayer. He had also started to fast, which continued over the course of the next few weeks. Eventually, he lost nearly 40 pounds. The three Jesuits were joined in the bedroom by Robbie's mother and his aunt and uncle. Father Bowdern took a position on one side of the bed, made the sign of a cross, and sprinkled the boy and the bed with holy water. And then he knelt on the floor. Father Bishop also knelt on the opposite side of the bed. The family also knelt as Halloran took a position at the foot of the bed. As Father Bowdern began to lead the group in a series of prayers, the mattress on the bed began to move. According to Halloran, it rapidly moved up and down, often rising several inches before banging back down again. He looked over at Father Bishop, his eyes wide with surprise. It's okay, Walt, Father Bishop whispered. Just go ahead and pray. Father Bowdern continued the prayer, summoning aid for Robbie from the saints and then sending pleas to God, reciting phrases in Latin which were answered by Father Bishop. As they continued, the bed continued to shake up and down as if keeping time with the words. Soon the actual exorcism ritual began and what happened next was passed along by Walter Halloran. They were events that he still remembered more than 60 years later. I command thee, unclean spirit, whosoever thou art, along with all thine associates who have taken possession of this servant of God, that by the mysteries of the incarnation, passion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the descent of the Holy Spirit, by the coming of our Lord unto judgment, thou shalt tell me some sign or other thy name and the day of an hour of thy departure. I command thee, moreover, to obey me to the letter. I, who, though unworthy, am a minister of God. And then Robbie interrupted it with a blood-curdling scream. It was not a cry of fear, but of pain. Robbie threw back the bed covers and tore open his pajama top. Across his stomach were three long red welts. He screamed again and again. Each time that Father Bowdern stated the word Dominus, which means Lord in Latin, new welts and scratches appeared. 
His mother later recalled that it seemed as though something was inside of Robbie trying to claw its way out. The lines continued to appear, creating long, bloody slices across his body. There were soon bloody lines on his legs, thighs, stomach, back, throat, and face. This happened in plain view of everyone present. Robbie could not have physically made the marks on his body without everyone seeing him do it. While this was taking place, Father Bowder never looked up from his prayer book. He continued to recite the prayers of exorcism, and when he completed it, he started over again. As he started to read it again, something twitched on Robbie's leg. Bowdern demanded again that the demon identify itself and red welts formed on the boy's skin. It was, the witnesses later said, an image like the devil. It had arms that seemed to be webbed and, quote, gave the hideous appearance of a bat. Father Bowdern continued to read. More marks appeared. They spelled out what looked like the word hell on his chest. The word had been scratched so that it faced Robbie, and he began to weep when he looked down at the letters. The letters bled so much that Father Bishop dabbed at the scratches with a handkerchief, and they came away stained with red. Father Bowden read the next passage, again demanding that the demon offer a sign as to when it would depart from the boy, and more letters appeared on Robbie's skin. Bloody scratches marred his stomach, spelling out, go, and then another red mark appeared on his leg, looking like a crooked letter X. Bishop wondered if this meant the demon planned to leave in 10 days. Well, that didn't turn out to be the case. Soon after the X appeared, Robbie seemed to simply collapse and fell into a deep sleep. Well, Father Bowdern continued to read. He recited the prayers of exorcism and pleaded for assistance from St. Michael the Archangel and others. As he prayed, Robbie stirred in his sleep. He turned and twisted back and forth with his eyes tightly closed. He mumbled words under his breath and thrashed up and down, punching the wooden headboard of the bed and tearing at his pillow. He seemed violent and angry, but was still asleep or at least unconscious. Father Bowdern leaned over the boy and sprinkled his body with holy water. Suddenly, Robbie awakened with a jolt. He told the priest that he dreamed he'd been fighting with a huge red devil. The creature was trying to keep the boy from escaping from a burning pit where Robbie had been imprisoned. There was a set of iron gates at the top of the pit, the boy told them, and he knew he had to go through them to get away. He told them that he thought he was beating the devil and might be able to escape. The two priests exchanged glances. Although Robbie could not have understood the Latin words to the prayer of St. Michael, the boy had somehow comprehended the message of them in his dream. Was Robbie cleverly telling the Jesuits what they wanted to hear, or was the supernatural somehow at work? Having already dismissed the idea that Robbie could be perpetrating a hoax, Father Bowdern continued the exorcism. According to the accounts of Walter Halloran and Father Bishop, Robbie lapsed into restless unconsciousness. His eyes moved rapidly back and forth beneath his eyelids as Father Bowdern made the sign of a cross over him. His arms twitched outward, waving wildly in the air. Halloran grabbed for the boy's hands, trying to keep him from hitting one of the priests. Father Bowdern continued to read as Robbie rolled back and forth. As Robbie began to thrash even more violently, Halloran came around the bed and tried to hold the boy down. Years later, Halloran would speak often about his attempts to restrain the boy, and he told of being punched by him several times and at one point having his nose broken. Halloran was a well-conditioned athlete and yet was often unable to restrain the thin 95-pound boy. On this night, as Robbie continually jerked away from the young man, Robbie's uncle stepped in to help. He grabbed one of Robbie's shoulders and Halloran held the other. The boy shouted at them, demanding that they let him go, but the men held firm. 
Father Bowdern continued to pray and he moved his thumb over Robbie's brow, tracing the sign of a cross three times in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Robbie continued to struggle as the exorcism went on. The boy was still flailing about, trying to strike at the two men holding him. With his eyes shut, he turned his head and spat with uncanny accuracy into the faces of Walter Halloran and his uncle. With an animal-like cry, he worked one of his arms free and lashed out at his uncle. The man was struck across the face, but he still managed to force Robbie's arm back down onto the bed. The prayers continued, and Father Bowdern traced the sign of a cross on Robbie's head again. The boy jolted forward, and this time, with his eyes closed, spit and struck the priest in the face. Father Bowdern remained outwardly unaffected. He simply raised a hand as a shield and continued to read from the prayer book. He made three crosses over Robbie, enduring more spitting and several swift kicks from the boy's jerking legs. On now sweat-soaked sheets, Robbie writhed and grimaced in his trance, shaking, twisting, and spitting. He continued to fight against his assailants, as strong now as when the ritual began. Halloran and Robbie's uncle, though, were exhausted. Their grips were weakening. Robbie's mother and Anne huddled together at the foot of the bed, gaping at the scene with both terror and grief. Father Bishop was also near to collapse. His hair was damp with sweat and his surplice was stained by blood. But Father Bowdern pressed on. He held the ritual book in his left hand and with his right, he poured a bottle of holy water onto Robbie's head. The boy awoke, startled, and then sat up for a moment before falling back onto the damp pillow. He was now strangely calm, and he quietly asked for a glass of water, which his mother went to get from a bathroom down the hall. By the time she'd returned, Robbie was asleep again, and once again fighting and struggling with his uncle and Walter Halloran. Several times during the night as prayers came to an end, Father Bowdern repeated the process of pouring holy water on Robbie's face. The Jesuits both felt he was much calmer when he was awake, and when the water did not rouse him, Father Bishop would lightly slap his face until he awoke. Finally, hours after the ritual had begun, came the last prayer of exorcism. Father Bowdern began to read, making crosses in the air above Robbie's convulsing body. He often had to raise his voice to the point that he was nearly shouting. Even then, he could barely be heard above the grunts, yells, and barks that Robbie made as he rolled back and forth on the bed. Finally, he reached the end, and silence fell as Father Bishop whispered, Amen. The room was suddenly calm. Robbie had fallen into what seemed to be a deep sleep. Father Bowdern lowered his head in silent prayer, and as he did, Father Bishop glanced at his watch. It was 5 a.m. Was the night over? And more importantly, was the exorcism over? Just then, Robbie let out a low howl and began to sing in a strange voice. He cackled loud and high-pitched. He waved his arms about and began to shout, screech, and yell. Father Bowdern, though exhausted and close to collapsing, began to pray again. Father Bishop was too tired to keep a record of what happened next. He ended his diary notes by saying that Robbie began a natural sleep at about 7.30 a.m., slept until 1 p.m. when he ate an ordinary meal and played a game of Monopoly. The first night of the exorcism had come to an end. Despite Father Bishop's initial relief when Robbie slipped into what seemed to be a peaceful sleep, he knew that exorcisms could last for days, even months at a time. And this one would not be an exception to that rule.
When the three Jesuits left the house that morning, all of them faced a dilemma. The older men had to explain to Halloran that they had no idea how long the exorcism might last. It could go on indefinitely. And during that time, all of them had to carry out their regular duties. And since they were under an order of secrecy from the archbishop, they could not reveal what they were doing at night or use those activities as an excuse for being tired. Father Bowden had full days of pastoral work to do and Father Bishop had a full schedule of classes, but they both had more freedom than Walter Halloran did. He was still a scholastic. His days began at 5 a.m. and while he lived in a private room at the residence hall, his studies and non-school hours were rigidly controlled. He had to get extraordinary permission to be able to stay out all night, but he did with Father Bowden's help. It became a very difficult spring for the young man. On the night of March 17th, the Jesuits returned to the house on Roanoke Drive. Robbie's father had returned to St. Louis. He had been working in Maryland, but when he heard about the previous night's events, he managed to get a flight from Washington, D.C. so that he could be with his family. When the three men arrived, they were met at the door by Robbie's mother. She was frantic. Her husband and Robbie's uncle were upstairs holding the boy down. They could hear the sounds of howling and shouting coming from the second floor bedroom. She explained that Robbie had spent an uneventful day and then around 9 p.m. began to get very sleepy. He had gone to bed, but within minutes was shouting and thrashing about just as he had done the night before. Father Bowdern and Father Bishop put on their surplices and stoles and hurried upstairs with Halloran close behind. As they walked into the bedroom, they were stunned to see Robbie's father and uncle fighting to keep the boy down on the bed. Robbie was kicking, scratching, and swinging his arms as he tried to escape. He screamed as he did so and snapped his teeth at them like a dog. Father Bowdern immediately went into action. He sprinkled Robbie with holy water and slapped him several times across the face. The boy sat up and looked around and then his head tipped back and he passed out. His eyes rolled back into his head and he began shaking and screaming again. Halloran stepped in to help Robbie's father and uncle and grabbed one of the boy's arms. It was all he could do to hold it down. The small, skinny boy seemed to have incredible strength. As Father Bowdern began the prayers of exorcism, Robbie became violent again. With his eyes tightly shut, he turned his head and spit into his father's face, then targeted his uncle and Walter Halloran. As he was doing this, Father Bowdern leaned forward and shouted over the sound of Robbie's cries. Instantly, Robbie broke free of the men, snatched out his hands, and ripped Father Bowdern's stole into several pieces. Startled, the priest slashed his face with holy water, but received a glob of spit in his eye from Robbie in retaliation. As his mother tried to soothe his head with a cool cloth, he managed to spit into her face too. Robbie then turned toward Halloran, and even though the young man tried to duck out of the way, Robbie also managed to spit in his face. He could never explain how the boy managed to do it with his eyes closed. He later told me, he could spit right into your face from four or five feet away. We could never figure out how he managed to do it. If it was some sort of trick, it was a good one. Even with all of this going on, Father Bowder never wavered from the task at hand. He continued to read from the prayer book, and to their credit, Halloran and Father Bishop continued to respond on cue. In the background, Robbie's aunt, who was occasionally joined by other family members, recited the rosary. A few times, Robbie awakened from the trance-like sleep that he was in, and he looked confused whenever his father or mother asked him why he was shouting and spitting at everyone. Most of the time, though, he screamed and howled, arching his body up and down on the bed and thrashing wildly. Well, Bowdern continued to read, and when he finished the prayers of exorcism, he stayed at Robbie's bedside reciting the rosary until about 1.30 a.m. At that time, the boy finally slipped into what seemed to be a normal sleep. 
When nothing else occurred, Father Bowdern felt safe about calling the exorcism at an end for the night. But they returned again the following evening. This night started in a much more peaceful way. The three Jesuits arrived around 7 p.m. They chatted and played games with Robbie, who seemed to be having a good time. A few hours later, the boy said he was tired and wanted to go to bed. Once he was settled, the priests and Halloran gathered in his room. Father Bowdern led them in a rosary, and Robbie slowly joined in. When they were finished, Father Bowdern mentioned Our Lady of Fatima, a story that Robbie had earlier enjoyed. When the priest recited a prayer specifically to Our Lady of Fatima, Robbie remained calm and awake. This was a good sign, Father Bowdern believed, that things would go well on this night. Father Bowdern took his place on one side of the bed and Father Bishop stood on the other. Halloran again went to the end of the bed and waited. The prayer book was opened and the process began. But it was only just beginning when the mattress on the bed began to shake. Father Bowdern stopped reading, marked his place in the prayer book, and then picked up a bottle of holy water from the bedside table. He sprinkled the mattress with the water, and it stopped shaking. Bowdern opened the book again and began to read. Moments later, Robbie began to thrash about. His arms and legs twisted wildly in the air. He tore at the sheets and blankets, his body whipping up and down, back and forth on the bed. Robbie's father and uncle rushed into the room and grabbed the boy's arms, just as Halloran took hold of both of his ankles. But even with all three men holding him, Robbie still managed to twist and whipsaw his body up and down until his back bowed into an arch. Robbie twisted his head back and forth and began hacking up globs of spit mixed with mucus and blood. Although his eyes were tightly closed, he never missed his intended targets. Father Bishop tried to duck but managed to be spattered anyway. He did manage to sprinkle the boy with holy water, though, and Robbie screeched when the water hit him as if in pain. Father Bowdern stopped reading and tried to touch Robbie with a holy relic. Robbie spat on it and then spun and managed to spit on Father Bishop's upraised hand. Father Bowdern reached under his surplice and took a small gold box from a pocket inside of his cassock. In the box was a round consecrated wafer for use in Holy Communion. Robbie's feet were moving on the mattress, pounding against the footboard of the bed. Father Bowdern held the gold box near the sole of one of his stomping feet and it suddenly stopped moving, even though the other leg continued to jerk back and forth. A moment later, Robbie was conscious. He complained that his arms were sore and one by one he looked at his father, uncle, and new friend Walter Halloran. He seemed to sense that the three of them were responsible for the soreness, but he said nothing about it. Then suddenly, his eyes rolled back into his head again, and he flung himself backward onto the bed. He let out a horrific scream, and his body again began to thump up and down as if he were being picked up and then slammed down by unseen hands. Father Bowdern continued the prayers. Every few minutes, Robbie seemed to come out of his trance, and he attempted to respond to the prayers with Father Bishop and Walter Halloran. At one point, he became so calm that he was released by the men holding him down. That was a big mistake. As soon as they let him go, he sprang to his feet on the bed and began attacking everyone he could reach. He shouted, jumped up and down, and swung his fists at them. His face was contorted with rage. He snapped his teeth at them, attempting to bite the hands of the priests who tried to bless him. He sank his teeth into his father's arm before he could be wrestled back onto the bed. He continued to fight and spit as the prayers continued. For hours, he went back and forth between anger and calm until finally, around midnight, his body and face relaxed. The three men who had been holding him collapsed in relief. But once more, Robbie sprang to his feet. This time was different, though. 
He dropped to his knees and bent so far forward that his forehead touched the mattress. After a few moments of silence, he began to chant, Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. And then he began to recite the Hail Mary. While everyone in the room was frozen into place, spellbound by what they were seeing, he abruptly stood again and began in Father Bishop's words, his strong fight for the eviction of the devil. According to Bishop's diary, the boy's body twisted in all directions and he acted as though he was trying to vomit. He begged someone to open the window. As cold wind swept into the room, Robbie screamed that he was going. Then he fell onto the bed. His body was limp and soaked with sweat. Everyone in the room knelt on the floor and Father Bowdern led a prayer of thanks. The long nightmare, it seemed, was finally over. Or so they thought. At 3.15 that morning, Father Bowdern was awakened by the sound of the rectory telephone. Dreading what he was going to hear, he picked up the receiver to find Robbie himself on the other end of the line. He's coming back, the boy cried. Father Bowdern hurriedly dressed and contacted Father Bishop and Walter Halloran. We're going to go again, was all he had to say. They knew they were going back to the house on Roanoke Drive. When they arrived, they entered the house without speaking and climbed the stairs to Robbie's room. It was though the final events of the evening had never occurred at all. Father Bowdern began to recite the prayers of exorcism as Robbie writhed on the bed, howling and screaming in agony. The ritual continued for the next several hours until around 7.30 a.m. Robbie fell into what seemed to be a peaceful and natural sleep. The three men departed from the house once more and drove back to the university in uneasy silence. For the first time, Walter Halloran reported many years later, the Jesuits actually felt despair. They wondered if the horror would ever really end. When Saturday morning arrived, it was so normal that it was frightening in itself. Robbie played, read comic books, listened to the radio, and acted like an ordinary young boy. As the day grew later, though, and night began to fall, Robbie's mood became darker as he readied for bed. Everyone knew the terror would begin again. The Jesuits arrived around 7 p.m., and they spent the next hour calmly socializing with the family and easing Robbie into bed. After he had settled in, Father Bowdern and the others entered the room. Soon the exorcism began again. Robbie almost immediately started a fight against Walter Halloran as he tried to hold the boy down on the bed. Father Bowdern read and Father Bishop responded. Robbie responded in his own way by barking like a dog. As Bowdern read, I command the unclean spirit and then ask in Latin for the spirit to show some sign, Robbie provided a sign of his own by urinating all over the bed. It sprayed the blankets and sheets, creating an overpowering stench in the room. Father Bowdern commanded that the demon give his name and Robbie urinated again. Father Bowdern then asked for the demon's hour of departure and once more urine streamed from Robbie's body, soaking the bed. Father Bowdern refused to acknowledge the urinating and as he prayed, he stepped forward and made the sign of a cross on the boy's brow, lips, and chest. The urinating suddenly stopped. 
Father Bowder made the sign of a cross over Robbie again, and he placed the end of the stole on the boy's neck. He placed a strong hand on Robbie's head as he continued to pray, and the boy seemed to calm from his touch. The shouting and barking stopped, at least for a moment, but then he began to sing. They were careful, clear notes of the Blue Danube Waltz. It was beautifully rendered and unbelievably bright, and Robbie's hands kept time, swinging up and down. It was the voice of a choir boy and a father bishop who had an ear for music, a seemingly trained voice. However, he knew this was not the case, at least with Robbie. He'd never been able to sing like that before. A few moments later, Robbie began singing the familiar hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. Although his performance was excellent and to Father Bishop of professional quality, this time Robbie's voice was mocking and almost cruel. And then the singing stopped. The ritual went on. As Father Bowdern continued his prayers, Robbie called out to one of the priests by name. Father Bishop did not record which of them it was in the diary, but regardless, the priest did not respond to him. Exorcists were warned against speaking directly with the demon because the spirit would attempt to distract them so that they could keep the ritual from being carried out. When Robbie called out to the priest again, he was ignored once more. Finally, he hissed out the priest's name in a harsh voice and added, You stink. While this is a pretty tame insult by most standards, a listener must remember that this would have been completely against Robbie's usual nature, especially when addressing one of the Jesuits, men he liked very much. The priests and Walter Halloran would remember this because it became the first of what would become increasingly personal attacks against the three of them. His anger began another violent episode, which Halloran struggled to control. The shouting and thrashing continued until 3 a.m. when Robbie finally slipped into a deep sleep. The Jesuits prayed next to Robbie's bed for another half hour just to be sure the night's events were over. As they were leaving, the family was taking part in one of their nightly rituals, the removing of Robbie's pajamas and bed sheets and exchanging them for fresh ones. On nights past, the sheets and clothing had been soaked with sweat, but now with all the urine, he had to be washed as well. On Sunday night, Father Bowdern began the prayer ritual at 8 o'clock, and within a few minutes, it became obvious this would be the worst night so far. Robbie cursed and threw himself about on the bed, cursing, screaming, and threatening Walter Halloran. He urinated on the bed and passed gas loudly. The room began to stink so badly that even though it was a cold night, the window had to be opened to air the place out. Years later, Father Halloran told me that the stench was so bad that it would make their eyes water. Keep in mind, I served as a chaplain with hundreds of young men in Vietnam, he told me. I've seen and have smelled just about everything you can imagine, but I'll never forget the odors in that boy's room, both at the house and later at the hospital. I can't even begin to describe it. Soon, Robbie's curses turned from Halloran to the priests. Get away from me, you assholes, he screamed at them. His voice would range from a high-pitched squeal to a guttural roar. Throughout the entire exorcism, various witnesses described Robbie's voice in different ways. Some said it was deep and menacing, much too deep to come from a young boy not yet through puberty, while others recalled it was high-pitched and screeching like fingernails on a chalkboard. Others would never forget his repetitive, jangling laughter, and they could never get it out of their heads. All of them will remember the vile curses that flew from his lips, words that no one could remember Robbie ever using before this. Go to hell, he screamed at the priests. You're dirty sons of bitches, you goddamn assholes. Even though Father Bowder never reacted to the curses and swearing, Father Bishop was shocked and never recorded much of what Robbie said. He simply wrote that the curses were too offensive to be put on paper. 
Much of what he said describes sexual acts with various people, including the Blessed Mother. He cleverly wove sexual images into prayers to Our Lady of Fatima and perverted the rosary and other prayers. Robbie's parents swore that he had no prior knowledge of the filthy images that he described and suggested. The cursing and fighting ended at 2 a.m., and by this time, Robbie's aunt and uncle could take no more. The next morning on March 21st, Robbie's mother, who was near to collapse from fear and lack of sleep, was taken to a doctor. She never told him the reason for her exhaustion, but he prescribed immediate rest. Robbie was oblivious as to what was going on. He remembered nothing of his nightly frenzies, which baffled everyone. They couldn't imagine he could act as he did and do the things that he did without remembering them. But according to Walter Halloran, they believed his amnesia to be genuine. He stated that he never felt that Robbie was putting on an act. Robbie was completely pleasant during the daylight hours, but at night, he was a terror and becoming more horrific each night. Although they loved their nephew, his aunt and uncle had reached the limits of their endurance. They were relieved, although they felt guilty about it, to hear that Father Bowdern and Father Bishop recommended removing Robbie from their home. The Jesuits suggested that he be placed in a hospital, at least for a night, so that the rest of the family could sleep and not be awakened by screams and struggling. Robbie was not consulted about the situation, although his parents agreed to whatever recommendations the Jesuits might have. Father Bowdern made arrangements for Robbie to be taken to the Alexian Brothers Hospital, an institution that was well known in the city and a place that would go on to achieve legendary status in the story of the 1949 St. Louis exorcism. It was Robbie's first night in the hospital. It would not be his last. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do we?
I command thee, unclean spirit, whosoever thou art, along with thine associates who have taken possession of the serpent, <laughs> serpent shit. <clears throat> Try this again. I'm not very good at reading prayers. I command thee, in. <laughs> oh man, this is gonna be a tough one. Go ahead. Oh no, seriously. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, were you getting? Re- were you actually getting ready to start? Actually, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, no. I thought you were waiting for me because I had just done something. No, so. I oh, just. Uh... All right, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, go ahead. All right. Oh, no. no seriously, go ahead. <laughs> all right. Okay. Welcome to American Hauntings podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode 32, which is the 18th episode of season two, which delves into the hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Oh, hey, sorry. Oh, yeah. I was sending a text. Hollywood, Troy Taylor over there. No, no, I'm just kidding. So, well, full disclosure, as I mentioned to you when you got here, uh, I've been up since about 4.30. You look look like it. Well, this, I know, I probably do. No, you look fine. Um, There's been a lot of Red Bull involved today. Yeah. I just, again, heads up on that. Um, I don't know why. I think I was I was kind of working on something for the podcast in a way last night actually, mm-hmm. and it's research. Um, it was research, um, and I was up very late, and then for whatever reason, just didn't sleep very well. So, must have been thinking about demonic possession or something. Yeah. So that could I, have been it. That's so. actually interesting. Does you've been into this stuff your whole life, but does this subject matter, whether it's demons or? kid ghost or whatever does that stuff ever keep you up at night um no you know it doesn't it's not so much like demons and stuff that keep me up what the, the only thing that has really ever gotten to me is when i'm working it's not so much a podcast it's more like when i'm working on books mm. and i'm like fully immersed in whatever i'm working on and especially as i'm getting closer to the end or it's becoming really grim when i was working on um well, the, the, when I did my book on the Grimes sisters, that was a, that was, I was trying to do that over, I was working on that or coming close to the end on that around the Thanksgiving season. And I had gone over to Lisa's for Thanksgiving and, uh, had said, um, yeah, Hey, I, I've got a, we ate and, you know, chatted for a bit. I said, listen, I gotta go. And I'm like, what, <laughs> why are you leaving? I, I got, I got some stuff I need to do. So I left and then, and Lisa's mom was really concerned about why I had left. Mm-hmm. And Lisa said, well, he's trying to finish this book about the two murdered girls. And then she was like, oh, because she reads she reads all the books, so she right. kind of gets it. But, you know, there have been times when um, Renee Cruz and I did a couple of books together, and she would talk about having dreams. She'd be working on, like, a theater fire story. We mm-hmm. did a couple of books on disasters and hauntings, and she'd say she would wake up at night and think she smelled smoke oh. in her house. Um, so... That one was tough. The uh, the book I did about Marion Parker, the one uh, I wanted to come home tonight, mm-hmm. um, that was a that was a bad book to work on. Uh, that's a horrible story, and then of course then I did an entire book of nothing but horrible stories involving children, yeah. and that was um, that was some grim stuff. I, I worked on that during the summer, and there were days when I did nothing but I sat at the computer like all day working on it, and, and I would be in a it's a pretty. It could put you in a pretty bad mood. I you bet. Know? So I, you know, it, I don't even think that's what kept me up last night. Just whatever reason, I didn't sleep well, and then got right back into it this morning. So um, doing this today it will be a, a cleanse. 
you know, get it out of my system. Yeah, it's good when the exorcism yeah. can be, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. can be the cleanse. Um, I Arts do... don't involve holy water, usually alcohol. So it's a whole different. Animal, it's a different so. kind of holy yeah, water. Exactly. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, um, so uh, I'm I'm ready for you with some uh, some housekeeping. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because we've got stuff coming up. We yeah. should talk about real quick. Always. Uh, before we get, yeah, well, that is true. We always do have stuff coming up because we just posted like all of our ghost hunts for the rest of the winter and spring on the website, and so that's been. Uh, especially that Fox Hollow Farm serial killer farm yeah. deal. Um, that w- the first one we we posted two of them for one for February and one for April. The April one sold out in like a day and a half. Oh, I man. mean, it just completely fills um, every time. But um, we do have stuff coming up like immediately and in kind of a more um, our tighter listening area. You know, the Alton St. Louis area because we've been on those two seasons um, for the show so far. Um, so far, you'll note that so far. So far. So, um, anyway, um, this coming Saturday, after you hear this, on the 17th, um, will be my last book signing of the year. Uh, I'm going to be at uh, at the Mineral Springs in Alton at, at the American Hauntings Vault. Uh, I'll be there signing books on Saturday the 17th from noon to 5. So um, if you're over in the area and you get a chance to come by, stop by, um, do some Christmas shopping. Yeah. If, you know, you have, you know, screwed up people on your holiday list. Which, that you, you, which you do. Which, of course, you do if you're listening to this show and uh, you want some autographed books. Or if you've got books that, you know, aren't signed for some reason, which means you bought them from somewhere else. Thanks. Oh, no, just kidding. Um, we'll. I'd be happy to sign those for you too. So, and I think I think I'll up. be there too. Oh, good, good, um, good. I believe All so. Right, and cool. uh, I'll yeah. sign anything you want. Yeah. Um, just yeah. that's just yeah. a heads up. Doesn't matter who wrote it, what it is. Doesn't have to be a book. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then we had um, at the end of November, beginning of December, we had those holiday spirits events, but the Mineral Springs Ghost Hunt we're doing is already sold out. Mm-hmm. So the one on the first, we added one for April though. April twenty seventh, we'll be doing another one. Um, but the, that's sold out, but we do still have the dinner and spirits, uh, experience on Friday night, the 30th, uh, which is a, a dinner and then, uh, a ghost hunt at the first Unitarian and at the Mineral Springs, um, shorter versions of, of course, what we'd be doing the next night, but yeah. still it's a nice experience that you get to do in a, in a several hours in an evening. So it'll be kind of fun. Um, we don't do a lot of that stuff in the winter time because, Walking around is not a great plan, but that that'll be a good night for it. That'll be a good night for it. So, because we do have our um, Alton is the it, it, Alton and Chicago are our two tours that go all year round, um, and that just started a couple of years ago in Alton when Lisa and I started doing those river road tours, mm-hmm. and we have changed those up for this uh, this winter. Uh, we are having dinner at Bluff City Grill on Broadway. And so we're going to pick up the tour there. We're going to end it at the Mineral Springs, kind of like we did in the in the fall. But we're going to be traveling up to Grafton, and then we're going to be having um, dessert at the Aries Winery. Oh, nice! Yeah, up on top the uh, on top the bluff, and then we'll still be making our stop at our haunted spot in Grafton, and then we'll be heading back for our haunted spot in Alton. So those are going to be fun. We've got one like every month through uh, January 26th, I think is our first one. And then we've got one every month through the winter. So that'll be fun because in February, um, we also have our Dead of Winter Festival. Yeah. So, um, and that's going to be, we'll talk more about that, I think, as it gets closer. But um, the, for those of you who made the mistake of watching, say, Ghost Adventures on Halloween night, 
Yeah. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you were promised that you were going to be seen uh, dingling open the Dybbuk box. And of course it didn't happen because, you know, anyway, if you want to hear the real story about the Dybbuk box, um, we actually have the guy who owned it, um, who, who discovered the whole thing and wrote the book. And that's what the movie that was made, The Possession, is based on, is Jason's book. He's going to be at the Dead of Winter Festival. And uh, he'll be talking about that. He's kind of our headliner. Get it from the source. Get it from the real source, um, not a TV show. Uh, But anyway, um, that's going to be on February 9th. And it's free. It's from 10 to 4, and it's free. And all you have to do to get in is bring a canned good. Uh, for um, food banks in the area. We donate all that stuff. And uh, because, you know, donations slack off after the holidays mm-hmm. and they need a jolt to get them through the rest of the winter. And man, I'm telling you, we, we get a boatload of stuff. Can it, can it uh, also be toiletries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in dry goods, uh, paper towel, toilet paper, um, light bulbs, diapers, yeah. doesn't matter. Anything like that is good. Um, just as long as it's a, a non-perishable item. Uh, that can be used uh, for um, for anybody who who needs it, anyone in need. Uh, so that's that's your entry into a day long event of speakers, live performance of the American Hauntings podcast, which yes. is always a train wreck. Who and, knows uh, what'll happen? Well, who knows what'll happen? But um, th- that's always fun. And then we do have um, three after hour events that night, and there is a charge for those. That's um, we're doing a dinner. Uh, thing. Uh, well, we're doing a ghost hunt at the Mineral Springs, doing a ghost hunt at the First Unitarian, and then we're doing a, uh, a dinner with the devil. So if you didn't get enough yeah. of the devil came to St. Louis during the podcast, you can sign up for that. He's hopping and over to I will promise you there'll be some things that are not in the podcast because, I mean, some of it just... Honestly, as Cody and I have been working on this, some things just don't translate to the podcast, yeah. as it turned out. Uh, so photographs and all that kind of stuff, we will have that will be part of the uh, presentation that night. So if you want to get a little bit more uh, information and, and maybe some things that I didn't necessarily want recorded for posterity that I'd be happy to pass on in person, um, that will be part of the event that evening. So um, those dinner things have turned out to be fun. Uh, I did mm-hmm. one last year for the... Uh, for Dead of Winter, and then um, in January, I'm doing one about the Axeman murders. Yeah. And that's already sold out. I'm not and, surprised. And um, then we've got one coming up uh, in March, which is about halfway sold out, which is a, an evening with Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. Well, not actually with Lizzie. We're not digging her up and bringing her in. But um, we're going to talk about the Lizzie Borden case. And, well, the, I like to say the real story of the Lizzie Borden case because if you watch movies or whatever, they'll try to convince you that she was guilty and um, – well, I don't know. I guess we'll see uh, because I've got a um, a presentation. Uh, I wrote a book about Lizzie and got a presentation about the Borden murders that, well, I will take you step by step. You're say, through let, every let's single, consult the graph. Every, yeah, every swing of the axe, which there were not 40 or 41, you know, how the yeah. song goes. But um, we can we can take you through every single one. Anyway, it'll be fun. It's March sixteenth, and uh, it's all on the website if you want to. And Cody usually puts links to everything in the show yep. notes anyway. So, uh, but but come along. We we always love to see people who listen to the podcast at stuff. I mean, we yeah, had a great. lot this fall. Was the first year I think the first fall that we really saw a lot of our podcast people at our tours at our events, our ghost hunts, and they came to the book signings. I did a couple of book signings in October at the vault, and we had people coming in wearing the T-shirts and yeah. you know, tell us how much they enjoyed the show. 
And uh, so I figure that for every person that tells us how much they like the show, there's 10 more people that hate it. Probably. But that's okay. Yeah, you know, I'll take that um, We'll number. take it. You know, we'll take it. So anyway, um, so there's some stuff coming up. So we'll hope to see you. Uh, wear your T-shirts. Show your love. You know, whatever. It's, it's been great so. to uh, to meet people and then have people come up to me and they know me. They say they know me because of my voice. Yeah, yeah. Which is, <laughs> now that I think about it, it's like there are just hours and hours of my voice yes. recorded and people this I never true. met that just this listened to true. me more this than maybe true. people I know. So yeah. that's... Well, it's like me in October when, you know, all the... Every show I ever did for the Travel Channel mm-hmm. is replayed. Oh, and yeah. I'm in various stages of, of Troy he Taylor. either has this many tattoos or has a beard or doesn't have a beard or has short hair or long hair. And I saw you on this, and I, usually people say, oh, I saw you on this, and I'll go, I'm so sorry, you know, uh, <laughs> because most of them are, you know, they're old. Some of them are old. Some of them aren't, but a lot of them are pretty old. So. I, uh, I've shown multiple people your pictures, and they've asked me about the podcast and because I'll ask about you, and I'll show them a picture, and every time they go, I did not picture him looking like that. And oh. I don't know what they expected. And huh. it it's always seems like a positive note, but they yeah. – I wonder what they, they – I, I don't know what they think I look I'll have like. to ask. I think they did I'm kind of curious. They were – I think sleeves was one thing they didn't think you would have or any tattoos at least. Hmm. Um, and the, yeah. the beard. I've got a lot of tattoos. You do have um, a lot of tattoos. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I'll have so, to ask him. Describe hmm. this man to me before yeah, I show you the picture. Before I show you the picture. So I'm thinking they probably all think I look like, say, like Liv Schreiber or something. What a strange <laughs> comparison. Okay. Oh, Ray Donovan started back up, and I love that show. So that, yes. And it wouldn't be a bad thing, but I'm thinking that's probably not what they think. It's probably so, not, but, yeah. you know, either way. Um, and I just wanted to mention that at the end, we, we have a lot of, uh, we've been getting a lot of listener emails and tweets <laughs> and things, um, which is, no, it's great. Oh, and okay. I, 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 no, I encourage <laughs> not this. The, not the, the ass backwards, backhanded compliments we get from people. Well, there's been well, some of those. this is a great show, but you're an asshole, that kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff. You I know, love your so. show, but it sucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but I'm going to be reading off a lot of those um, at the end of the episode. So stay okay. tuned and we cool. might uh, read your question or comment. And I'll see how Troy reacts in real time. Yeah. Or we just may call you out. So, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, because then no one will ever send anything. That's true. I should stop doing that. Because I'm only joking. So, yeah, I think it's like an well, 80 Well, actually, I'm not 20. joking, but Cody will just cut it out. Yes. So <laughs> it's an 80-20 thing. But, uh, again, American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you ready to dive in? I'm ready. Okay, so when we last left off... Because, frankly, I'm, I'm a little done with this story. Because i got to tell you, this was a brutal... This, this was brutal. And the next yeah. one is even more brutal. Yes. And so I'm, I shouldn't say I'm done, but um, it's it's tough to it's tough to to sit and deal with this. I mean, just I mean, I can't imagine how these people say, must have felt. Yeah, it must I have been really hard for you. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't imagine how these I, the the people the the true heroes of the story. Not that the you know not that the priests weren't great and everything, but I think the true heroes of the story were. His relatives, yes, man. the aunt and uncle, especially and the, cousins, the aunt man. and uncle. Yeah, I, I would have, I would have, you know, I, I don't, I think I'd you have sent them packing. Tried you to know, there's got to be, a, there's got to be a great hotel around here right. somewhere. So I'll, I'll that's it actually it. in the next episode. Yeah, you're right. you're right. So, but yeah, I mean, I think I would have found them a nice hotel somewhere. Um, yeah, I flipped the bill. Something, yeah, because put them in the garage. Or right. so, I don't know. Well, man. I do. I do so. have some jokes on that later. Um, but just to refresh your course, when we last left off, fathers um, Bowdern and Bishop went to the Archbishop 
Joseph E. Ritter for permission to perform an exorcism on March 14th, and to their surprise, he promptly agreed, and the exorcism began. <laughs> yeah. And well, that's we how I started off the monologue. Well, they got it. Now what? Yeah. Because neither one of them had any intention of actually doing it. Right. Um, there, You know, there's a... Again, it's one of those things where it's tough to get everything to translate into a podcast and make it a cohesive story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the book, I detail a lot about, you know, the criteria to be an exorcist. And pretty much you have to be like, you know, just this side of a saint if you go by all the criteria. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nobody, nobody that has normal contact with humans is going to be able to be as as cool as needed to be yeah. to be an exorcist because you have to be like really, really righteous. And, you know, here's a couple of guys, one dealing with students all day, which would make you want to commit murder numerous yes. times throughout the day. And then, you know, Father Bowdern, who's just trying to run a church, you know, I mean, he's a pastor, which means he has like 9,000 responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably part of his deal is, you know, God, I, you know, I've got, oh, I don't think he probably said that, but he probably said, you know, to himself, you know, I've got so many things I'm responsible for and all these people I'm responsible for. And I'm not sure I'm up for this, but too bad, you know, too bad. So uh, the exorcism officially begins on Wednesday, March 16th, 1949, correct? Yes. And the chronologi- chron- chronology of the case is extremely confusing. Um, and you mentioned before these... these pre- well, it's confusing because everyone... I, I always say it's confusing, and then I then proceeded to tell you pretty much what happened step every step, day. Step, yeah. um, but it's confusing because people always just assume, you know, the, the legend is that it was all done at the hospital mm-hmm. or the legend it was done here or there. And and so what, I, what I've tried to do is dispel all those stories, all these, you know, because, I mean, seriously, I've had people tell me about 10 different places where it was done, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was done at a handful of places. Right. I mean, it was done in, you know, in Belnor. It was done at the rectory. Mm-hmm. It was done at the hospital. I mean, and as we'll find out in the next episode, it was even done in Maryland for a while. And on a train. Yeah, and on a train, pretty much. Um, so it's, you know, um, that's, I think, is what makes it confusing is because there's a lot of things that people don't know mm-hmm. about where it happened and right. when it happened, you know. And do you think a lot of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you think a lot of that stems from, I mean, the records and things that were kept, but also they had to keep this a secret for right. the most part, right? And that is a big part of it, yeah. And so when something is kept a secret or, you know, it's just like when something is unexplained or, you know, unknown, unsolved, whatever, people will just fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And it makes it a lot easier to say, oh, look, this is, it happened, this is the house where it started and then it ended up at the hospital, leaving out everything in between. Right. You know, um, and I think that's I, wh- why I say it's confusing. It's really not that confusing once you detail it, which mm-hmm. is what the point of what we were trying to do here. Right. You know. And so there were, you said there were lots of people that were involved in this exorcism. And yeah, a lot more than people think. And, Again, and there's yeah. one I wanted to ask you about. Uh, so Walter Halloran is yes. a, a student football player, helped with the initial exorcism, which they pretty much sprung on him. Yeah. You, so you spoke with him before his yes. death, correct? Can you yes. tell me what that was like? Yeah, I mean, it was... Um, I, I, I just assumed that uh, – well, actually, my first contact with him was um, I was on an episode of Dave Glover's radio show. Oh, yeah. And he was on, too. And so then I made arrangements. I knew where he was and contacted him there um, because at that point he was in a retirement community in Wisconsin. 
and I made arrangements to contact him there and then was able to visit with him several times. And I mean, I, I broached this with the idea of, I know you have talked about this a million times and you probably don't want to talk about it anymore. He said, no, 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 no. He was very nice about it. And uh, he said, no, you know, it's time is enough time has passed. And Father Bowdern always wanted the story to be told, even though he couldn't do it himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he gave me his honest opinions about what he saw, but he didn't see everything. That that's, right. that's the issue. Um, and so some of the stuff that we have, we only have notes that, you know, and we've talked about this before, we have things that people told Father Bishop happened. So Father Bishop wrote them down, but mm -hmm. he wasn't there either. So I tend to take some of it with a grain of salt, you know, um, in the next episode, there's a bunch of stuff that I, I really take with a grain of salt and uh, we can talk about that, you know, next time. And, but because no one seemed to be there. Father Bishop wasn't there. Uh, Father Halloran wasn't there. I mean, he went on to become a priest, obviously. Right. Um, and, you know, it, and the funny thing is, too, is everybody says, oh, you know, he was just a student. Everybody acts like he was like this high school football player that was called in. I mean, he'd been a Jesuit for like eight years by this time. And it's grueling. In the book, um, again, not everything translates to a podcast. In the book, I went into all the details of what his life was like on a daily basis. And it was it was constant, you know, up at 5 a.m., you know, all these studies, all this different stuff he had to do, all these, you know, just day-long activity. He had nonstop. I mean, it was a lot of work, and he had already studied a tremendous amount. So, I mean, he was a Jesuit already, but he wasn't ordained a priest yet. Mm -hmm. So... When people refer to him as a student or a scholastic, I mean, it's accurate, but, you know, I mean, this is a guy that's going to know more about, you know, the ins and outs of, of being a priest than most people would, and he still wasn't a priest yet. Right. So we, we don't want to underestimate him by just referring to him as a student, you right. know, but, which you're not, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah, My for sure. Is, and well, and one thing, you know, that you can... You can say is that, I mean, he did play football, but Robbie was 95 pounds, yeah. and yeah. Halloran had a hard time holding yeah. it down. Yeah, and he's, matter if you're he, he was a what. big guy. Even elderly, he was a big man. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was – I'm sure he must have been a great football player in his day because he was a big dude, and um, he was having a tough time hanging on to this kid. I mean, we talked about that a lot in the, you know, in the story. And um, because and, – and that was – you know, he – it always went back and forth. You know, it, it would often sometimes depend on the interview of how how far he wanted to go talking about whether or not it was authentic. Mm -hmm. um, he he never he never came out and said for a fact, I believe he was possessed. He he never said, I don't think he was, but he always said Father Bowdern believed that he was. Mm -hmm. And they were close. I mean, they, they were close and he had great respect for him. So I think that even if he didn't think so after all those years, I mean, cause the last time I talked to him in like 2005, so that was, you know, shortly before he passed away. And, you know, by then a lot of years had passed. Right. And, but even then he would have never have gone against what father Bowdern believed, but he would sometimes say, you know, I don't know if he was truly possessed, but you know, there was this one time when I was at the end of the bed and it levitated about six inches off the floor. And you're thinking, <laughs> okay, well that seems scary to me, Yeah, that's um, something. you know, and he would talk about not being able to hold him down. And he would talk about, you know, having his nose broken. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that, and this, this 
and you're probably going to get to this, but the spitting thing. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like, I don't even know. I, I call it spitting because that's what everyone called it. But, and it's not like the vomiting in the movie version. Mm-hmm. It's not like, it's not, I mean, it's not pea soup, you know, but it was spit and snot and blood. And, yeah. But it would be, you know, these priests would be talking about, I don't know where it was all coming from mm-hmm. because nobody can seem to be able to make that much spit. Yeah. And he could do it. And that was what that Father Halloran had said too, is that he could do it with his eyes closed. His eyes were Four never open and, 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 and he could do it, the, you know, hack a big loogie at you from, you know, six feet away yeah, with disgusting. your eyes closed. I and mean, that's disgusting yeah. and bizarre, you know, I mean, between the amounts of spit that he'd come up with and the amount of urine, you know, the, 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 the copious amounts of urine. I mean, that's a quote. I did make a note. Uh, yeah, this kid just pisses himself a lot. Awful. I mean, just like tons. And it's like, Where's it all come from, man? Uh, you know, you got so. me. And you know, uh, you mentioned Father Father Bowden was um, also very committed to this, and he said he lost forty pounds during the exorcism, fasting, yeah, well, and exhaustion. I'm of sure exhaustion had a big part of it too. So it's a great so. weight loss secret, apparently. Oh, yeah, doing exorcisms, maybe they should try and market that. <laughs> so with with some of these exorcisms, um, of course, shit starts to go crazy. And can we talk a little bit about the infamous go and X that seemed to appear on, yeah. on Robbie's body? Can you tell yeah, me a little bit about know. that? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, everybody saw it. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are guys, again, you know, they're, these are what you would consider to be a trustworthy source. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't have any, well, I see, you know, I say that being, let's play devil's advocate for a minute, nice. uh, which is a, maybe the bad choice of words. I love but, it. Um, you know, you say, oh, well, they'd have no reason to lie, but they would have reason to invent or yeah. imagine or enhance, embellish. Mm-hmm. Um, or justify. But, but Right, or justify. Could Good point. I'm not saying they did, mm-hmm. but again, you, you that possibility is out there. Of it just Again, it really depends on, depends on what you believe, you know, or, or what you believe in it. And the story is so... You know, there's so many ins and outs in this and maybes and I don't knows and, you know, and in this particular, in that particular case, you know, they're talking about these, what they referred to as skin brandings, um, raised red letters or scratches that would sometimes appear would ooze blood. And oftentimes they would say that they appeared right in front of everyone's eyes. I mean, everyone gathered there, but you know, you can you can explain that, but and I hate to use that word hysteria, uh, because it, it that that seems like something from the 19th century that you just dismissed any kind of mil, mental illness with. Right. But on the other hand, sometimes it's kind of apt, and in this case, it, it could be. I mean, there's there's nothing to say that, and I think we talked about this on one of the very first episodes. That I mean, I've literally seen people be so anxious about things they have caused hives to just appear on their body yeah i mean like stigmata you know right right um and just can't function because of it uh we've all seen people who just get so flushed and anxious about something you know so could could that have been could he been mentally ill in some way and so um you know, so charged up, so amped up, so hysterical about what was going on that some of this stuff started appearing on his body. And let's just say they were scratches or hives or marks or skin brandings. 
And now we have a group of people who are all believers from priests to family members who are, you know, standing off to the side of the room saying the rosary while this is going on. That looks like a, that looks like words. That looks like an X. I mean, it's like, you know, you see, you know, all the time people will want to show you photographs that they're sure is a, a ghost. And, Wait, what are you talking about? You know, about? it's just, it's glass. It's the, it's, it's a, not a face looking out the window. It's just the clouds or the sun or right. something on the glass of the window or, but we, we see what we want to see. And could that have been part of it too? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, as you know, my feelings about this whole thing have changed a couple of times over the years. Mm -hmm. um, not in, in episode five, I'll give you a better idea of why they've changed. Uh, we'll get to that point, but, um, but I'm just throwing these possibilities out there because I think, I think it's worthy of discussion Absolutely, that there could definitely be other explanations for some of this stuff um, than, you know, demons or right. anything supernatural for that. You have matter. to, we have to eliminate all the other possible yeah, I think so too. You know, scenarios and, 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 and the stuff is out there and I don't think they're going to go away. Um, that's, that's always been one of the really interesting things about the story is there are so many different things that it, could be mm -hmm. um in addition to something supernatural right you know so and and you know what for all i know for all we know and maybe i should save this for later but for all we know it could be a combination of different things yep you know there could be something supernatural going on here in addition to other elements playing into this you know uh because i mean that's 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 a lot of that's a lot of haunted houses right there I mean, that's, uh, you know, things that go on in a, in a house that's alleged to be haunted. Sometimes it's not just a ghost, mm -hmm. you know. Um, sometimes the people are as haunted as the place. Right. And we'll, I think we'll a, get back to that. A lot, I, I mean, a lot yeah, of we'll things aren't, that, aren't black and white. You no, know, most stuff no. is in the gray this, area. This, this story is definitely not black and white. Well, so speaking of things that, you know, people thought about this, the priest seemed to think that the go and the X meant that the demon would leave yeah, in 10 days. in 10 days. Um, and I think that was wishful thinking. Yeah. Well, as it turned out, it definitely was. Yes. But um, I think that they, you know, were needed something. They needed something hopeful, mm -hmm. you know, because while this really hadn't gone on that long by that time it happened, by the time this happened, um, it was really just kind of getting ramped up. They were already tired. Yeah. They were already tired and freaked out and they don't want to do this in the first place. So, you know, um, I think any, anything that you could hope for, you know, was, was what was happening here. And they thought, well, you know, it makes total sense. We ask, we specifically ask, that's part of the ritual. You ask this thing's name mm -hmm. and, you know, as far as we can tell, because it came up several times I think they came to believe that whatever this thing was possessing this boy referred to itself as spite um, because that came up a number of times, but they asked for its name and they asked when it was going to leave mm -hmm. repeatedly because that's part of the ritual. And when this X shows up, even though it was not a clear sign or, you know, it certainly wasn't verbal, but here was something that they could seize on mm -hmm. and say, whoa, here it is. Here it is. It's 10 days. He's, we got to have to do this for, for we've only got nine, only six more days of yeah. this and we're out of here, you know. And um, yeah, they were in for a surprise. What do you think it is about um, the 
whole notion of having to know the name is is it, is it knowing something's name it's gives to you have power, its power over it right 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 because did the same kind of right, thing right? right right well and you know and that's been always been part of the 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 tradition the ritual the lore whatever you want to call it um has always been you've got to know the the name of your adversary because you are attempting to in 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 the catholic faith or let's say in the christian faith you're attempting to cast out the demon in the name of Jesus Christ, oh, who was right. technically the original exorcist, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of all the stories in the New Testament of him getting rid of, you know, like the Legion story and yeah. that kind of thing. And so since you're using that name as a power source, having the name of your enemy is is essential. Um, you've got to know that if, if the exorcism is going to work. Interesting. So. I, I also think it's... It's really interesting to me because you go through a lot of like day by day and night by night. And uh, with this one, you mentioned that Robbie fell, finally fell asleep at about 7.30 a.m. And then later on in the day, he played Monopoly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's oh, – well, but that becomes a standard. Yeah. Um, and later I even I even mentioned um, – I believe in the next episode, uh, one of the things I talk about is that after a while, Father Bishop just stopped unless something – different happen mm-hmm. he just he just assumed that whoever was reading it would understand that it's all of the same things were happening but during the day kid was super normal yeah uh for the most part i mean there are and i do mention that a few times i mentioned where you know something odd happened during the day or like you know whatever but for the most part he would get up you know eat breakfast read comic books, play games, goof around, play Monopoly, play baseball, whatever. And then it would always start back up at night, always at bedtime. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like the end of the day when everyone is at their weakest. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, because by the end of the day, imagine how the Jesuits felt. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have been up most of the night dealing with this crap. Then they've got to go and deal with their day, which is, you know, their their job, essentially, do their day job. And then at night, they're back again. So by nighttime, you know, let's let's if we're going to give this thing a personality, let's say mm-hmm. let's 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 do let's say this was actually a demon because we don't know. But let's say it was. Yeah, um, it would be at its peak by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it knew they were at their lowest point. And so they were fighting an uphill battle here, which is one of the reasons probably why it went on so long is because, you know, how do you get any, how do you get any traction, you know, right. for something like this when you're, when you're beat down and you're exhausted and you're tired and probably, I mean, maybe father Bowder didn't show it, but I can tell you the other two, I can tell you Walter Alleran was because he said so. He was scared. Mm-hmm. It was scary, man. This is a kid that is completely normal under most circumstances, likable. You know, they have a good relationship with him. He likes to goof around with them. They, you know, they talk, they play games. They, you know, they, they, you know, later on he's, you know, he's giving him the catechism, you know, and then he turns into somebody completely different at night. You know, it's, it would be scary. 
It's bizarre. Know? I was thinking if there's going to be a time when you're going to turn into a demon, I've seen the game of Monopoly change some people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, when you become so, insi- uh, you know, d- you know, you've got so many hotels, yes. you're almost demonic. I you can't, know? I can't I land sold anywhere. My soul to Satan to get all these hotels just, on Boardwalk. I can just so. imagine there's a lot of board flips going on in that house. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, you mentioned Halloran and uh, you know getting his nose broken and stuff. And uh, I went to Catholic school for nine years, but I still don't know some of these terms. Can you talk to me about some of the priest gear, I guess the surplice and a stole? Which one is which? Or the, Yeah, the, um, the, the the stole is the, the purple thing that they hang around their neck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, this you way? You know, the, 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 the little collar thing? No, no, no. The, uh, the, long, yeah, yeah, the okay. long piece that hangs down right. the front. And then the surplice is that kind of the not like when you don't when they're not wearing like their street clothes mm-hmm. they've got like a it's like a dress yeah I mean, okay. that's yeah I didn't and know they they're wearing that and then the purple thing that that goes around their neck like a scarf mm-hmm. this is really sounding bad yeah, yeah, you yeah. know they're dressing their scarf I'm just to put it in terms um, that's that's what they're you're talking about what and then, what's the collar thing called. I don't know, collar, right? There's probably a fancy name for it. In fact, I'm sure there is. There has to be. Uh, but I, I went as a priest one year for Halloween, and I had to buy all that stuff. I did, but too. But I cannot remember what – it's called something I don't remember, and uh, I'm not going to Google it No, right I don't now, care enough. But someone will figure it out. So When I was a priest, I but had – But we the, all think of it as a collar. Yeah. Their collar. I had a book, and it was – you open it up, and it had a flask in it, and it said <laughs> the Holy Book of Hammered on the yeah, front. Yeah, It was awesome. Yeah, sure. Okay, anyway – well, moving on. So it seems like you, we mentioned all the spitting and all the crazy, yes. gross shit. I don't want to get into that that he's doing. But, um, we, we already did. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to get into it again. I don't want to revisit. Sometimes uh, this— Well, the other thing is, is oh, that— God. Well, no, I, gotta, I, gotta, I just got to mention this because okay. I was thinking about it. I, I took great delight in reading some of the profanity that Robbie used yes. toward the priests and how tame it all sounds. Yeah. Well, because those are the only quotes we have because it's all write Father Bishop right? would write down. Yeah. You know, the really filthy stuff, he wouldn't write down. He would just write down and say, oh, yeah, this was awful. And he, you know, was making jokes about the Virgin Mary. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand why he wouldn't want to write it down, but it it, it causes our story to suffer somewhat, yeah. you know, because the best I can get is, you know, you assholes or, right. you know, that kind of thing. But we don't, I mean, but but again, you've got to remember the time. It's 1949. This kid's like 13 years old. Kids didn't talk like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, just a common conversation with a 13 year old you would in 1949 you would have assumed he was possessed right um, but it wasn't like that then but i i find some of the things kind of comical you oh know? no some of and like hilarious. the like the uh the the priest when they were at the which father bishop didn't list his name the fat priest yes that he yeah yeah talked the, about his tits and yeah, all this make stuff sucking and noises like, oh, and man stuff. come on i know i felt but really imagine bad if you've been that guy though yeah. And he said that he'd see him in hell in 1957. He quit, he quit drinking, quit right? Drinking, yeah. Well, I can't say I blame him. No. You know? um, it, yeah, I think he, that was probably his first and last night yeah. involved with the exorcism. Kids are fucking worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but speaking of them being the worst, it, it seems like sometimes he eventually started kind of, I don't know if he was faking being normal or if he actually was kind yeah. of coming back into, yeah. and then getting taken oh, over again. Yeah, well, and, and that, that was guard. the, yeah, well, I think that that was the, I don't think it was, faked i think it was it was a case of i mean if you know again we're going with the assumption he's possessed 
I think he was kind of slipping in and out of it. Uh, he would kind of fight back mm. and he would come out of it. And, um, but, or you could also look at it and say that, you know, this, this entity, this demon would allow him to come back because their guard would fall. Right. You know, and it usually did. I mean, mm -hmm. there were times, you know, oh, you know, that really hurts. Could you let me go? Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, or um, the, the, the Father Van Roo incident where he told Father or Walter Halloran, hey, what are you hurting this kid for? Yeah. You know, and he's like, well, you know, hey, you know, it, he it, wanted to say, hey, dude, I know what I'm doing here, right. but he couldn't. Because I'm also holding down a child. Right. So, and yeah. he I can see how kind, this looks bad. Right. It does. I can see where this looks bad, but I know what I'm doing, but he couldn't really say that. So he lets him go, and then he, he gets a broken nose, and the another priest gets knocked across the face. And yeah. I think that taught him a lesson. But on the other hand, you know. It's a sticky situation yeah, for everybody. It's, it's just a bad, you yeah. know, a bad thing. And then, you know. And it, with a little foreshadowing there with the, not with Father Bowdern, of course, but then, you know, Robbie accusing the priests of being pedophiles. Yes. And I'm thinking, boy, that's a... Ahead of I its should, time. Maybe I should leave this out. Uh, well, I was wondering, I, and maybe they didn't write shit down because a lot yeah. of stuff was true. Well, see, well, and not even saying. that. I don't think probably about these guys. I mean, there was yeah. never any kind of ever, well, ever, ever any they kind of... They seem like good yeah, men. Yeah. Um, nothing about any of them that were was ever questionable, but... I just wonder about some of the things he didn't write down because I don't know. I mean, if that stuff, let's say it was going on back then, some of the things that we've seen come to light in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, yeah. some of these guys knew about that stuff mm -hmm. and, you know, and it wasn't their place. They didn't know how to handle it because these were decent guys and couldn't even fathom something like that could be going on. Some of that stuff may not have gotten written down mm -hmm. just for that reason. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll never know. We will never know for sure. Exactly. Right. So have you, you ever had your nose broken? Um, I don't think it, I think it was fractured once. Um, I had a friend who was an old, like a, like a, uh, he was possessed. An ATV. No, no, we had an ATV, and uh, back when they only had three wheels instead of four, this was way in the old days. Okay, and uh, he was starting it. You had to pull start at the time, mm. and went to pull start it. And I was standing, kind of looking to see because something was wrong. We were trying to figure it out, and he came back with that starter, got me right across the face, Dang. and um, cracked it, but didn't break it. It was just a fracture. Yeah, know, but. Oh, I, no, I, I don't know if you noticed, God. I have kind of a rather <laughs> a large nose. nose. I've, I've broken it twice, and it hurts yeah, I'll bet so it does. bad. And your I'll eyes bet. tear up, and there's blood. Oh, it's, yeah. it's miserable. I'll bet. I'll and it's bet. Really, I, it would be very, very hard. Kids get on my nerves. But if a kid, <laughs> if a kid struck me and broke my nose, it'd be so hard to not unleash hell sure, on this kid. Sure, uncle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give me a pillow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he's getting more violent. Um, but he seemed to calm down for a minute whenever they put a uh, like a case that holds Holy Communion by his yes. foot for a minute. Right. Um, yeah, that was a weird little description of, of what was going on there yeah with the scissoring and the, it was very strange just right really weird and then the kicking the headboard and then he put the you know put the communion down or did i my i'm mixing two stories up there aren't i, mm, I know he puts two it by different foot nights but i know he was stomping his feet on the headboard or the footboard mm -hmm. and then he put the the host down by his foot and it's that one foot stopped to the other. Thing, oh, the which other I didn't. Bizarre. He's got to break it in half yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, and then this was a really creepy part. Um, Father Bowden receives a phone call at three fifteen a.m. from Robbie yeah. saying he's coming back. Right after they, it, it seemed like something had had broke. Mm -hmm. You know, throwing up open the windows and him 
vomiting out something. So, you know, uh, I've had people tell me that they, they believe that that incident that was described, that there may have been more than one mm. thing inside Robbie. Right. And that one of them did leave, but the main one, the powerful one, didn't. And so they all thought it's over. You know, this is the end. It's over. And then can you imagine that phone call, though? No, they'd be You're sound be asleep horrible. and the phone rings and you pick it up. It's and, right out of a horror movie. it's this little kid on the other end of the line. It's <sighs> coming back. That, yeah. You know, what a great scene. It what is a great. great scene it's, for a movie. And is, isn't there something, too, about, like, the 3 a.m. hour as far as Catholicism oh, goes? No, don't get into that. That is made up. You that's, that's not something that's they believe? all made up that Warren's made that up did they yeah well it's all made up but yeah. that well they made that up okay well i was i was curious about the, it and you know people have just for whatever reason have just started just believing that yeah that it's you know it's kind of like you know um killing a werewolf with a silver bullet you know kurt smile oh, yeah. made that up for a movie for the wolfman in 1940 and everybody just assumed it was real this is the same thing this 3 a.m thing mm-hmm. the demonic hour that it's the reversal of the time when christ was crucified That's what it was, is yeah. just made up and people just jump on that and think it's real well, but seriously look up the if you don't believe me and there are people that are listening to this going freaking oh, out he doesn't know what he's talking about look it up Look it up, and you'll find it. Eventually, you'll find the source of this was Ed Warren. Yep. And I think we all know how credible that is. Oh, he's not, not a trustworthy <laughs> oh, guy? Man. Well, this is No, this is good. This is why I do but this podcast. But the people who believe learn, that, believe yeah. in Ed Warren, are going to believe that story. They're never going to believe what I'm saying. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, that's just kind of like, you know silver bullets so well you heard it here first i heard it here <laughs> first first uh, a lot of people will tell you that well moving on to creepy stuff robbie does he eventually starts singing songs yeah uh, the... oh actually i had to leave some of that out okay there are some things uh, you have to read the book but okay i mean it, i have it goes it. into greater detail about the songs okay um there's a lot more singing that goes on that Let's just say it's very offensive, but not for reasons that Father Bishop thought things were offensive. And okay. we'll just leave it at that. Read the book. Read, All right. Read that part in the book. So, All right. Fair enough. Devil but there is a Lewis. lot of singing. And then, of course, there is the singing that Father Bishop says sounds professional. Mm-hmm. You know, that sounds, you know, this high-pitched, you know, kind of singing that, you know, Robbie apparently wasn't able to do before. And now can suddenly sing like a, you know professional soprano or something yeah so okay but he uh, did some other singing oh, oh like i'll have to check this show kind of stuff okay so i will have good. to check this out it's not good uh and then it began to smell terribly i don't want to dive in too much but i love how you mentioned the fact and this priest had been in vietnam yeah yeah so well he, that's what he said yeah you know he said listen i you know i was a chaplain in vietnam i've smelled some bad stuff mm-hmm. and that was he said it was the worst thing he'd ever smelled and then yeah, again we're talking about you know 50 some years later. Yeah. He's still talking about it. <laughs> That's uh, a bad smell. That is. That is a foul odor if you still remember it 50 some years later. Yeah. And so the priests, they're instructed to not converse with demons. Yes. Um, which seems like a missed opportunity, but yeah, that's just well, the, yeah, the science. Because, that... because the demon will lie to you. Right. And try to manipulate you and use things against you. I mean, you remember in The Exorcist? You know, when it kept turning into Father Damien's yeah, mother, yeah. you know, and using her voice. Mm-hmm. And that was that's an example of, of that. You know, it will try to use things against you for, you know, if you're weak and it will 
exploit that. And so that's the instruction they're given. Don't talk to it. Father Marin told Father Karras, don't talk to it. And mm-hmm. this is the same thing. I mean, that's where the story came from. Right. So, you know, but that's why you don't talk to it. And because a lot of what Demon was saying, uh, he described sexual acts with various people, including yeah. the Blessed Mother. He yeah. cleverly wove sexual images into prayers <laughs> to Our Lady of Fatima and perverted the rosary and other prayers. Finally, they were like, fuck it, moving him to the hospital. Yeah, right? we got to get him out of this house. Yeah. Uh, because I think things were getting too much. You know, I'm sure they were way past too much for the family. Yeah. But it was he was becoming too violent, and Father Bowder knew that putting him somewhere where he could be restrained easier than, you know, having to drag in poor Walter Alleran all the time or right. Robbie's uncle or Robbie's dad or whoever was handy. You know, it was tough, you know, and putting him somewhere like that where they would have, you know, a, a bevy of monks who are sworn to silence. The Alexian brothers was the perfect place to take him. Awesome. And that's where we're going to pick that up is where we're going to pick for up the next, next episode time. for part four of St. Louis exorcism. That's right. Uh, okay, so okay. Well, like I said, we had a lot of listener mail, I guess you'd yes. call it, um, which was great. I definitely encourage feedback, AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. Send me your thoughts, opinions, and I uh, might read some of them, might argue with you, whatever. But uh, here we go. So one of them was from Sherelle. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And she mentioned, I work at Yellowstone Club, and we listen to your podcast in our headphones when we clean them and when we drive to a new house. And we talk about the story, and we listen to, and we talk about our own experiences. And uh, she offered us some story ideas, so thank you for that. Cool. Um, another one from Karen and said when talking about the Halloween episode that we did, she oh, said, yeah. when the yeah. uninvited was, Which was mentioned, surprisingly successful. Popular. Yeah. yeah pe- I, people loved it. it was, so in fact, we're talking about doing something in our off month in January, just trying to, to do work on a couple of things for fun. And we're talking about another of that type of episode. Yeah. Yeah. If you enjoy our hot yeah. takes, then you, yeah. you should yeah, like, you'll this. like this. Yeah. Uh, she mentioned when The Uninvited was mentioned, she knew this was a good list for her. And she, so she's now checking out the other movies that oh, uh, she hadn't seen yet. So thanks for that. Holly mentioned that she liked Mandy, but she understands our oh, views on it. Oh, she, man. And she was cool about it. She was cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, she recommended a is couple. Is this a woman who wants you to watch biscuits or noodles or uh, whatever that was? What, what was what that was movie? Dumplings. 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 No, that was. It was some food thing. That was so. a different. Uh, okay. She, she was cool, too. Well, though. I just assumed that anybody who liked Mandy might like noodles <laughs> or whatever that <laughs> was. So she recommended a couple movies kidding. that I was wondering if you had seen. Uh, one was called The Visitor, uh, which Visitor. I was not familiar with. But I can I can check it out. Yeah, me too. Because it sounds really familiar, and um, I mean the the problem I've got is that I've seen <laughs> so many movies over the right. years that um, you know sometimes they don't always ring a bell. Yeah, and I mean that movie also head, sounds so. very standard name like what, the. Yeah, exactly. Um, so did she know when it came out or anything? Or uh, I don't have it? it in here. She might have, but I don't believe so. Oh yeah, you know what? I'll bet this is it right here. Does it um, look spooky? Well, the soul of a young girl with telekinetic powers becomes the prize in a fight between the forces of God and the devil. Um, I have not seen it. It has Lance Henriksen in it, which is a plus. John Huston, Glenn Ford. What this, year did it come out? This is probably it. Um, it looks like 79. Oh, all right. Originally, it had the original name was Strigulum. That's a weird word. Yeah, weird. So I don't know. I haven't seen it, though. It doesn't. I. I the name, the title sounded familiar, but I have not seen this. Um, Another she recommended was interesting. Ab- Abominable Doctor Five. Oh yeah, Vincent Price. That's a, okay. That's a fun one. That's um, he uh, is this doctor whose wife is killed in a hospital um, during surgery, and so he decides to take revenge on everyone involved 
by revisiting them with the plagues of Egypt. It's insane. Oh. It's a, one of those Vincent Price completely insane kind of movies, uh, but it is fun. It's a lot of fun. Right. Um, and it's it's a revenge thing, but he's is it doctor there's dr fives rises again i I can't remember from the original one if he's all burned up and where i don't remember but anyway uh it's a fun movie yeah and then the last one she mentioned it she noted this was not a ghost movie but just said it's a spooky movie loves it uh and i just had to mention apocalypse now which is not a ghost movie she mentioned that but yeah. said that really liked how yeah i um it's a I'll classic tell you what's yeah what's a classic well you gotta watch the uncut version which is like 18 hours long or something. And I think that that was at the point where we finally realized that, um, that um, my mind just went blank. Um, Oh, I think that was at the point where we realized Marlon Brando had completely lost his marbles. But um, that, what's really fascinating is there's a documentary that was made Mm -hmm. that was filmed at the same time they were filming the movie. Oh yeah. What's it called? And um, I cannot remember it. I know I've heard about it. But it it is Heart of Darkness maybe uh, because Mm. it's based on that. It's based on the Joseph Conrad book, Heart of Darkness. And I think that may be what they call the documentary. Okay. Uh, But I'm not positive on that, but it's, it's definitely worth watching uh, because uh, (laughs) You see what he put them through, that cast. Yeah. And um, and what went into making the movie. Yeah, it, it is. It's Heart of Darkness, a Filmmaker's Apocalypse. Okay. And it's insane. It's completely insane. And um, But it's worth watching. I mean, I think Apocalypse Now is one of those films that everyone should see at least once. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got, a, I've got a list of those kind of movies. You know, Casablanca, Chinatown, you know, these these great films that you maybe you wouldn't be a fan of i mean although chinatown i've probably seen 20 times that's a class i love that movie but everyone who loves movies should see this stuff you know citizen kane you should all see this stuff and um you know we are the further we get away from the past the harder it is to convince people to sit down and watch a black and white movie right i hate to say that but you know like uh, the lady who wrote in that said you know when she heard the uninvited was on it's a great movie but you you can't i can't get people to watch it because they they see oh they don't even know who ray meland is anymore and then they don't uh, don't want to watch it because it's black and white which you know you're missing out on some great stuff but um because that's something that's going to go on our next list there's a movie that it was actually a lot of people have seen it because it's fairly modern but there was actually a black and white version of it made originally Mm -hmm. that didn't get shown and it's available now and that's how it was supposed to be and it's so much better nice we'll we'll talk tell me about it that's another time yeah uh so thank you holly and then from kelsey she was wondering if we're planning on doing any more midwest stories uh and then said she has a lot of stories from around the saint genevieve area and i just wondered if you had been there had any thoughts on that area i have been down in that area i don't i don't i don't foresee that being right away but we'll definitely be doing some more midwest stuff um i've got actually we talked about one idea for our next season um i've got another one that we can do for another season okay. um, that are a little different. I think we're going to get away from just towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a couple of seasons of towns and I'm sure we'll get back to that at some point, but Cody and I have been talking about what's going to be coming next, which will start in February after dead of winter will be our, the start of our next season. Although we're going to have some shows, you know, in January, we're still talking about it, but 
um, by then we'll make an or we'll make our final decision. And is that your final decision? We're going to make that in January and we'll announce it. Yeah, we and, will be in the Midwest, though. Okay, and if so. you ha- and if you have thoughts, um, yeah, not, let us know. Let us know. Yeah, if, we're, uh, we're an area a always want to hear it. I don't know if I'm going to listen to it, but I love yeah, to hear but, the you feedback. Know, we, we love to hear the feedback because who knows? It might spark something else. Yeah, and um, I mean, I've got ideas for a couple of seasons, and I mean, we we could do endless seasons, but mm-hmm. you know. It's just going to be whatever's next. We'll we'll see what's next. Right. And then we had another one from Taylor and said, I know that your podcast is American Hauntings, but uh, said that they're from, I believe, Canada and a place of Bishop's University in Lenoxville, Ooh. Quebec, and okay. specifically the Divinity House, okay. and said there's a lot of spooky stories and huh? uh, can be a long email about that. I'm going to say it's going to be a while before we get to Canada. We have, you know, it's always <laughs> yeah, a possibility. I know, I know, I know. Um, but we yeah, could do I'll, something on schools, so you never yeah, know. Yeah, that's you know? true. So Cody loves stories about kids. Uh, so. Yeah, so thank you for that feedback. Uh, and then the last one I wanted to mention is uh, a really good friend of mine said he, he was getting some movies to watch, and he said, I didn't get Mandy yet because of your show. <sighs> good. And, Smart uh, move. Everybody else Don't is, waste your money on Everybody it. else keeps telling him it's great, and uh, finally he watched it, and he messaged me, and he said, I turned it off to watch Stranger Things too." Good and for him. And I was him. like, thank, thank you. I thank justified. You. Yeah, no kidding. Um, he goes by Uncle J Balls on Twitter. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Oh, yeah, I know who it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so thanks for the feedback, and that's all I have until next time. Awesome. Good deal. American Hauntings podcast is a way to combine historic record, folklore. You know nobody listens to this, right? Just so you know. I know. I don't think anybody gets to this. We're going to rewrite this, and we're going to use everyone's names in it, and you're not going to hear it because you're not listening. So that's true. Anyway, go ahead and go ahead and read it. Now you want me to do it again? No, I want you to just keep going. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Imagination (laughs) will cover more about America's most haunted places, including St. Louis, Missouri. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and help us take a brand new look at history and hauntings. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books, as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours, events, and haunted happenings. As for your hosts, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. You can find Troy on Instagram at Troy Taylorgram, on Facebook at the Troy Taylor Author page, or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. That's it. Dum dum. Dun dun. Yeah, I would, so I do need to rewrite this, but I feel like we should. I just thought we, it was. Just wait till the next season. Yeah, do it when But I thought that was funny. Just I, leave it in. I, just leave it, it might in. Make no people one, actually listen. No one's listening to it, and I I'm just. Down. We'll see if someone is. I'm down. We'll see if someone actually listens to I it. I like it. If you, if you listen this long, let me know. American Hogs Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>